Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna. My version of the boogeyman is called Strawberry Head. And you're listening to Talk, Talk Psych, Psych to, to Me, a show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. This week, we're going on week five of COVID-19 quarantine. quarantine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I said COVID-19 quarantine. Like, everyone's doing COVID-19 quarantine. Yeah, everyone's doing like, no, no, I'm not doing COVID. I'm doing another quarantine. I'm doing a different kind of quarantine. I'm doing polio quarantine. Yeah. Just I'm in doing case. polio yeah. quarantine. Well, well, can we pick our own quarantines? Yeah, may as well. All right. I'm picking... um uh, uh, Zombie quarantine. Yeah. I'll, you know what? I'm going to do adamantium poison quarantine. All right. I pick zombie quarantine. Okay. So... Weeks one and two of zombie slash COVID slash whatever the heck you just said, quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like our collective adrenaline levels were very high. And at this point, I'm feeling tired. (laughs) I feel like we were all in fight or flight mode. You know, there was this like flurry of activity. And now myself, I think many other people are kind of tapped out. Is that why you've been yelling at me? Yelling is a really strong word. I think I've been more snippy or snappy. Well, yeah, louder. You've been snappy <laughs> louder. So like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb. I'm just going to call it yelling. I think that's just because I've been hangry. You did. Just See a, episode two. Just a moment ago, you got mad at me, yeah. and then you ate a piece of avocado toast, and then you were fine. Now I feel better. Now you're great. <laughs> I don't think I've been snippy because I'm tired. I think I'm snippy because I'm hungry, and you've been playing video games really loudly. I, Those I, are the I'm, two the two explanations. We go over I this have. all the time. You say loudly. You married a very passionate man. You've been playing video it, games very passionately. Very passionately. Well, I've been trying to work really passionately in the other room. <laughs> But it does occur to me that I'm, I need to shift into a different mode. I was okay. in fight or flight mode. Now I'm choosing to enter perseverance mode. Oh, no. That sounds like I'm going to get yelled at more. <laughs> that, sounds, that just sounds like like yelling, but with a reason. Like, now you're going to be justified in your yelling. Now I'm going to be like, I'm persevering. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to talk to you about today, Brian mm-hmm. Luna, is the psychology of perseverance. Sounds great. Okay. And I feel like if this keeps going on with your video games and my <laughs> lack of avocado in time, we're going to need to be persevering in our relationship, <laughs> where you among even, other things. You even threatened to leave today. I was like, where are you going to go in quarantine? <laughs> in defense, I just met outside the door. That, that was very dramatic to be like, I'll just be right outside the door. I mean, that's my scope of control right now. <laughs> That's as far as I can go. All right. So let's talk about perseverance, the okay. psychology of perseverance. Can you think of an example of you or me or us persevering? Uh, I would think, yeah, we persevered our first, you know, few months together. Uh, yeah, that was hard. I, I, I mean that with all due. I think a lot of relationships are tested in the first three months because everything that you believe up to that point now has to match this other person. And it really depends how much you persevere by how much you like the other person, yeah. right? Because if it was just like a like a physical thing or whatever, <laughs> no, if it was just a physical thing, then you wouldn't persevere. You're probably just like, oh, I'll wait for the next train or whatever. But <laughs> if you really like the person, like I really liked you, like all of my schemas were challenged. And I think that first those first three months, we persevered yeah. a great deal. That's I think that's a really good example. <laughs> I would characterize our first few months together as persistence. We weren't allowed to leave a conversation or an argument. Mm-hmm. We had to kind of stay in the pocket until it was resolved. Which we've until... evolved from, as yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about in the past. We now think it's very important to take breaks and <laughs> take naps and all that kind of stuff. But I agree. That was one of those things where we said, no matter what challenge we face, no matter how difficult it gets, we're not walking away. And one of the things that I come back to why it was healthy in the beginning is that it taught us that we weren't going anywhere. We even had the motto. Yes, it's bake a cake, eat a cake. That's not our motto. Nope. No. 
it's ADQ. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we use it for everything now. Yeah. So our nickname for each other is Amy. And ADQ stands for? Amies don't quit. And I think that was good. We have we still have it written on our door. How about in comic books? What does perseverance look like in comic books? You know, there's a famous quote in a movie, the original Spider-Man by Sam Raimi. And perseverance sounds like just when Aunt May told him, being a hero means hanging on five minutes longer. You read it in every story. There's a moment when the hero has to like either physically hang on to something or hold up the building or keep it together emotionally to defeat the obstacle that's in front of them. There's this great scene in, I believe it's uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Talk about physical manifestation of perseverance. There's a helicopter taking off and Captain America grabs the heliport and then grabs the helicopter and is keeping it from flying away. Talk about perseverance. Like that's the physical manifestation of what every hero goes through. That sounds really heroic and epic. But when you say hang on five minutes longer, all I'm picturing is that kitten poster. (laughs) (laughs) So whichever you find more inspiring... <laughs> Hang on just five minutes longer. I love that. It just, yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> now I'm picturing Captain America as a kid. I'm saying the same thing. I'm just like a little kid in a Captain America thing. Like, <laughs> okay, so to unpack and learn from the psychology of perseverance, mm-hmm. I'd love to explore two things mindset and behavior. So, okay. how can we change how we think and how can we change what we do? And mm-hmm. I want to just get started with mindset. What frame of mind is most helpful when life becomes an endurance sport? I was trying to figure out what field of psychology would provide a helpful parallel to what we're currently experiencing. And this is an exaggerated analogy, but I thought it would be really helpful to learn from research on POWs, prisoners of war. What most of us are enduring right now is nothing like the magnitude of hardship POWs have faced, but I feel like there are meaningful similarities. I think there is something going on kind of similar uh, to POWs right now, not with us, but I think to all the doctors and nurses and uh, first responders that are out there dealing with this on the front lines Mm. for all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, so that way we can stay safe, quarantined. In terms of POWs, I read a book a long time ago called The Great Raid, and it was about uh, a rescue in World War II, these POWs and what they went through. Mm. And from the perspective, they talk a little bit about how they just kind of took, you know, how like we have this expression day by day, they live moment to moment. And you were just kind of like three more steps. Just and focusing on what's right. Just in front focusing of you. on what's right in front of you. And, and this was a comic book. No, no, no. This is the, this kidding. is the this is the, the book. Called I'm just the always Great... shocked when you tell me about a book that didn't have pictures. <laughs> this one had pictures. Uh, no, but it was. It's a very inspirational story. To me, the parallel. Absolutely, you're right about first responders and people on the front lines. But I think even for the rest of us, we're kind of being held captive by an enemy that's attacking us mm-hmm. every day and everyone around us, and we're collectively just sort of sitting around waiting for someone to come save us. Yeah. So I think there's something to the psychology of POWs, whether or not you're literally fighting or just waiting and feeling trapped. You know, in some ways, maybe that's even more similar because you don't feel like you have the power to fight back. Right. You're just waiting. Right. No control. And when we log on to a news site, we're hoping for some kind of rescue or some kind of great news that will get us out of this. And you're not even sure who's going to come rescue you. You're just sort of waiting. So the bad news is that research shows that most POWs who survive being held captive go on to have lasting symptoms of depression and post-traumatic stress. But even among this group of people, many do survive and thrive. In a famous interview by Jim Collins with Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was held captive for eight years in a prisoner POW camp, Collins asked Stockdale, who died first in the camp? What would your guess be? Maybe the ones that were panicked? 
So Stockdale said the optimists always died first. Interesting. They thought by Christmas for sure they'd be out. So they'd set their sights on Christmas and then Christmas would come and they still wouldn't be let out. Hmm. So then they'd be like, okay, it's Easter and they still wouldn't be let out. And then they'd be like, it's going to be Thanksgiving. And then still they wouldn't be let out. Essentially at that point they would lose hope and die. So you'd think it would be better to be a pessimist, but the pessimists also had no hope from the start. So they had no motivation to persevere. In a quote that's become known as the Stockdale Paradox, Admiral Stockdale says, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Hmm. I hate to reference movies so much, but like... uh, No, it's great. I mean, those are our stories, right? Towards the end of the film, when Red, Morgan Freeman, turns to Andy Dufresne, crawled through a mile of shit... And came, came out, out clean, clean on, on the, the other, other side. side. <laughs> Where he tells him, he's like, this is hope a movie we've kill- watched a couple of times. <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> well, and, and he tells Andy Dufresne, he's like, you know, hope is what's going to kill you in here. Like, But he ended up being wrong. And that's what's so interesting. So very similarly, neuroscientist and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, who survived containment in a Nazi concentration camp during the Holocaust, he wrote that the death rate between Christmas 1944 and New Year's 1945 shot up significantly, even though there was no change in supplies, in disease, hmm. in treatment. So this is from his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He writes, it was simply that the majority of the prisoners had lived in the naive hope that they would be home again by Christmas. Oh, wow. As the time drew near and there were no encouraging news, the prisoners lost courage and disappointment overcame them. This had a dangerous influence on their powers of resistance and a great number of them died. So what do you think? What can we learn from that? <laughs> I think that's... Um, it's really depressing. That's a really depressing... But a great number survived. So coming back to this idea of the Stockdale Paradox, where you have to accept reality, but still maintain this feeling of hope. What do you think we could learn from these insights? There's a balance between hope and hope and optimism. Like, the, it's not the same thing. Uh, right, we talked also... about that in a past episode, too. This is not a good time for optimism, but it might still be a really important time for hope. Right, because hope keeps you moving forward, at least, you know, or at least looking for a solution. Yeah, imagine keeps... if everyone just became hopeless right now. Right. We'd be screwed. I think, for me, the important takeaway is not to set goals you can't control. Hmm. So saying something like, oh, this will be done by April. <laughs> <Right>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Easter. <laughs> so I think let's not set a due date for recovery because then we all just risk major disappointment. Mm-hmm. Instead, I think what you can do is just believe, yes, there will be an end in sight right. at some point. If we do what we do, flatten the curve or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And so keeping that really, really, really far-sighted hope while at the same time, to your point earlier, looking at what's three minutes ahead of you, digging in our heels, focusing on endurance mm-hmm. so that we can stay in this as long as we can. Yeah. There's one other thing that I want to share from research on POWs. Robert Orsano and his team interviewed Vietnam prisoners of war and noticed something really surprising. What they found was that while most POWs suffer tremendously throughout their entire lives following that trauma, some report feeling like they actually grew through the experience. Hmm. What would you think differentiates those people? I guess gratitude or or like the, the idea that you kind of dodged a bullet. You made it through, so like make the most of it now. you know. Again, another movie... <laughs> <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, you know, like uh, earn this, you know, when he when he tells, oh, when earn he tells this, him, make like, it count. Earn this, yeah. Like, yeah, mm. I think basically you understand the whole world better than psychologists do just by watching <laughs> movies and reading comic books. <laughs> so one difference, to your point, uh, seemed to be that POWs who felt that they grew as a result of the experience drastically changed their priorities, their life priorities. Mm. Coming face to face with death made their values clearer to them. They reported understanding for the first time 
what really mattered in life. So instead of just going through life day by day, right, like were, picking up as if they were they when they left when they were deployed. Exactly, like they took that time to go. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Most things I've been caring about, worrying about, upset about, they don't matter. Hmm. There's just a very very small handful of things that matters. There's a very small handful of people who matter. Let me prioritize that if and when I get out. Similarly, psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote On Death and Dying, it's a classic book now on the five stages of grief. She went on to believe that after denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, we should really have more of a sixth stage, which is making meaning. Hmm. She was chronically sick for a very long period of time, over 10 years. She was paralyzed from a series of strokes. And when she wrote her last book with author David Kessler, Kubler-Ross told Kessler pretty much on her deathbed, the last nine years have taught me patience, and the weaker and more bedbound I become, the more I'm learning about receiving love. Hmm. Which I think is a beautiful thing, coming yeah. from someone who's an expert in grief, saying acceptance isn't enough. You want to move beyond acceptance. And now David Kessler's been talking about this a lot. Right now, more than anything, beyond acceptance, we have to start making meaning. If you've made it to a certain point, whatever age you are, you've persevered through something. Right. So. If you're at whatever current stage you are, I'm not going to ask anyone their age, but that's good because it's a podcast, so they wouldn't be able to answer you. <laughs> oh, they will. Uh, <laughs> I think of how much I've changed because of what I've been through mm-hmm. in my life. I think so you're saying one way to make meaning is to look backwards and recognize yourself for the perseverance and growth that you've already I think, experienced. I think one way is to just acknowledge the change. You know. Uh, to look back and, and if you haven't found any meaning in your life or you don't think you have, look back to where you were when yeah. you were 16, 17, 18, when you thought you knew the world and where you are now. And if nothing's changed, then you can start finding meaning and start doing it now. You yeah. know, it's not it's not too late. In psychology, we call this self-efficacy. So it's actually looking backwards to draw confidence in who you will be in the future by mm. recognizing Either I've been here before, I've dealt with other challenges, or I've had difficulties and I've overcome them in the past and I could do it again. I think this is also a time for people to get clear on their values, what's important to them. You know, what do they want to do less of? What do they want to do more of? Hmm. Have you figured any of that out lately? You know, it's been kind of hard for me because I've had my nose so buried in news that it's been really hard for me to kind of like take stock or take any kind of like what I want to do. Even though I, we now have this rule in our home that was inspired by <laughs> <laughs> my coworker Diane that we mentioned a few episodes back. Yeah. Her rule is no news naked. Right. And we've created the rule naked news. Yeah. So now anytime Brian wants to read the news because he was reading too much, what do you have mm-hmm. to do? I have to strip down naked. But you're still, it hasn't deterred you at all. I've been naked for like 12 hours a day. <laughs> and it's been really challenging, like going out and doing the, the yard work. Uh, neighbors are complaining, you know, changing the oil in the car. Like it's been really tough. So we're going really to have to explore some other strategies. We're going to we're gonna have to do something. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So you're, you've had your nose, your naked nose in the news. And, and so it, it's been hard to like sit there and say, oh, well, let me look at this time and... and see what I, I really want to do, what's calling out to me, what's not calling out to me, because I, I just, I, I follow it too much. And when I say news, I mean everything. I mean, like even the Facebook stuff and all of my friends who suddenly become these virus experts, you know, like I, they got PhDs overnight and, and they're <laughs> posting all this stuff and uh, hair dryer in the mouth and all this kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really want to. I hope things slow down for, for my brain in the next couple of days, just so I can take 
a little more stock. That's what I like about the language of making meaning. It's not just about meaning happening to you or mm. realizing meaning. It's really about saying just the way you would make breakfast or the way that you would make art. You have to sit down. You have to make meaning. Yeah. I wonder if these mindsets apply to you and your dad during the period when you were homeless. Would you be willing to talk about that? Sure. Because that was a heck of a lot of persevering. Sure. How did you do that? Oh, well, that was... Um, a lot of it was being naive. A lot of it was like not really... Not really fully... how old were you? Uh, it was right around... I just turned 12. Um, and how old was your dad? 45 or so, 44. Maybe about my age now. Things deteriorated for us really fast. So, like, we went from having semi-normal life. I mean, you know, we, we were lower middle class and, you know, paying our bills and such to everything being gone and the family being split up and, you know, me not seeing my brother and my sister for over a year. And I think a lot of it was was just like, I just I just didn't know. I, I was like, oh, this is just temporary, right? I mean, yeah. like, you know, like, us walking all night, that's like, we'll, we'll get to where we're going in the morning, right? And then uh, and then everything will be good. Like, we're walking somewhere. We're going somewhere, you know, we're, we're, and I just followed my dad and to his defense and to his honor, we very rarely went to bed hungry. And there was this place that I remember uh, called the Fontana Motel. And I think it's still there on uh, Fredericksburg. And my dad had conned them into telling them he could fix air conditioner units. They, they were like, okay, well, you can have one of the broken units for the night if you could fix these other units. I, I was like, oh, wow, I had no idea my dad could fix air conditioners. <laughs> I've never seen it. Meanwhile, your dad is like, Meanwhile, yeah, that I could fix But my dad was just units. like, I'll get up in the morning and I will fix that air conditioner. So we were able to squeeze out a couple days there. But Just to be clear, he did not fix any air conditioners? He, not that night, but in that morning, boy, he was <laughs> he was an AC repairman like a motherfucker. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. He was fixing stuff. I mean, he understood basic like car stuff, you know, so he got some units going because we were there for two days, two, uh, three days total. But anyway, it, it was in the evenings that were, that were really tough for me when dad would fall asleep and I couldn't sleep. Looking back now, I, I was suffering from insomnia because I just didn't feel safe anywhere. I, I felt like anytime I fall asleep, someone would take what we had. And at the time, we only had um, two HEB grocery bags full of our stuff. And that stuff was comics, a couple toys, but clothes, a couple changes of clothes, and what little food we were able to like, non-perishable that we can buy. And that, you know, so we were eating like chips and nothing frozen or cold or anything like that. But it was in those evenings that those were the toughest for me because I kind of wish that I wasn't alive in those moments, you know, like, I, I didn't know how we were going to recover mentally from this. And I didn't know how I was going to be able to look at my friends when school started because mm -hmm. I didn't know how to tell them that I was sleeping on the floor or outside or, you know, in a car. Or I guess in, I feel guilty now for making fun of you for locking our bedroom door at night. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's true. It comes from a lot of, like, me being really, really freaked out about, like, someone coming to take from me. I think one of the things that helped me persevere was seeing my dad get up every day intent on us not being hungry, um, us uh, having a place to go. And if dad could do that, I had to do my part and be a son. You know, I had to do my part and watch his back. You had a job to do. I had my job. And it sounds like your mindset for both of you, you were <clears throat> kind of looking out for him. He was looking out for you. Yeah, I'd like to think that, but, and I even told him this a couple of times, it would have been a lot easier for him if I wasn't there. Like he probably had, would have been able to bounce on his feet, you know, bounce back on his feet a little easier, you know, going out and getting a that job. That might not be true though, because if you think about it and going back to making meaning, mm -hmm. I can imagine that in many ways it was easier for him because he felt like it, he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for you. Interesting. That's a good, that's, I mean, look, 
I'm glad we got through it. I remember sitting there and just thinking, man, if I were to just run away, dad would have it so much easier. He would only have one mouth to feed, but mostly I try to quell that as much as I could because I knew even then I knew those bad thoughts were poison to Mm. to us, to our situation. I think that's a really important insight too, is just recognizing that your thoughts are thoughts, not reality. And recognizing when the bad thoughts come in that you go, I'm not going to entertain these as much as possible. I'm going to acknowledge them, thank them for the effort that they're putting in (laughs) keeping me safe or whatever. And then say, okay, what are some other thoughts that could be helpful for me right now? Yeah. Thank you for talking about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I got a little emotional a couple times, so I don't know if you're going to edit that part out. But, uh... I'm not going to edit out emotions. <laughs> but you learn a lot in those moments because the funniest things we experienced were in those moments. So, like, talk about perseverance. Ha ha, being hungry. No, 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 but we laughed a lot. Boy, we laughed a lot. I remember sitting there splitting a hot dog with my dad from Stop and Go, which there are no more Stop and Goes anymore. But Thank used to goodness. be able to, No, they were good. But they had these Sounds big... like they stopped and went. <laughs> Wow. I think that's good, no? I I know you think it's good, and I'm glad you think it's good. Like, right outside, there was, like, this little wall. like a little brick wall that was just about waist high, and Dad and I would sit on it. And uh, we would eat hot dogs with just a little bit of mustard. And every time someone would walk in or out, Dad would, like, say something funny about them. Not necessarily make fun of them, but, like, maybe, maybe a little bit. But, like, they couldn't hear us. And we would just crack up, take turns. And I also remember one day having to run out for whatever reason. There was two motels there. There's a Fontana and across the street, there was the Frontier. And one of those places we had to run out of. We, I knew we were in danger, but dad was laughing. And, I, and, and looking back, I think dad was laughing because we were in danger. <laughs> but his his. Reaction would be yes, coping because it was laughing. So we were laughing while we were grabbing all of our shit and leaving, but we're leaving in a in a hot damn hurry, boy. What I love about what you're bringing up is when people think about homelessness, mm-hmm. they're not thinking about laughing. They're like, <laughs> oh, this must have been such a long period. Because in your case, it was about a year, but even around that time, a little less. Yeah, it was, it was a little less than a year, but it was. Like, but around it, that time, yeah. there was still so much uncertainty. So if you're mm-hmm. even longer, you had to persevere. And what I love about what you're sharing is just recognizing the complexity of negative experiences like mm-hmm. that. That they do have ups yeah. along with the prolonged downs, and you can't just ignore the positives that are happening because it, it could be really easy to be like, oh, we really shouldn't be laughing right now. Yeah, no, but allowing we never yourself had to that. have that. All of the stuff that we've gone through as a family. Even to this day, my mom recently had a health scare uh, to the point. A huge one. A huge one to the point where the doctor was like, you're going to want to come and talk to your mom now and And say say goodbye. goodbye. I remember getting there (laughs) and uh, we get to the hospital. Obviously, I'm a bundle of nerves. I'm frantic and I was rude to you and I'm so sorry. And I was just like super stressed. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we get there and mom is sitting up eating pudding. And she's like, they called you. And I was like, yeah, they go, what are you doing sitting up eating pudding? You yeah, just it was said, a blast. We had so much fun. We had so much fun and she was laughing. And she's okay now. She's okay Thank now goodness. and she was laughing. And, and even with my dad's diagnosis, almost going on nine years now, he was uh, diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and dementia. I remember this this one particular story. Talk about perseverance. You, you were like, hey, dad, uh, we just ordered our food. Do you remember what you ordered oh <laughs> yes this is when it wasn't as bad and we were kind of trying to get him to yeah, like use yeah, his memory yeah. and we ordered food and, we, and, it, and it arrived and he was like where is it i'm hungry and i was like yeah it's here it's here it's here do you remember what you ordered and uh, what did he say <laughs> he goes i don't know but i hope it's good <laughs> 
but I mean, even though like my dad knows that there's something wrong, you know, and you know and what's beautiful about that, about that is going back to what you said about noticing what's right in front of you. It's staying in the present because you mm-hmm. can't really laugh unless you're in the present. Sure. It's noticing what's right in front of you while keeping in your heart the space for knowing that things will get better in the future. Yeah. Yeah, like a little bit of hope and a little bit of like what's right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so we've talked about mindsets that can help <laughs> us persevere, making meaning, balancing long-term hope and short-term realism, mm-hmm. creating space for the delight and comedy that could happen <laughs> right in front of your nose. Now let's talk about the behaviors of perseverance. Okay. Starting first with the neuroscience. For this, it helps to just look at the actual definition of the word perseverance. Okay. How would you define it? To persevere. <laughs> <laughs> to use it in a sentence push through <laughs> any obstacle whether they be mental or physical mm-hmm. to endure mm-hmm. hardships and make it through to the other side I, that's pretty good the other thing that the dictionary definition adds is perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success you interrupted me i was going to say persistence in doing something you know with success. <laughs> with, with, I was going to say all that, but, but you interrupted despite me. Despite a delay despite, yeah, in, in, achieving, in success. achieving success. We were going to say at the same time, and then you started talking, so I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah. That, yeah, but that was mine. I'm sorry I interrupted your long pause. Yes. <laughs> it sounded just like being done. It sounds like that, but I was taking a breath. Right. I was like... <gasps> and then, despite the obstacles and... Blah, 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 despite what? Success. Despite. I, I said it already. I, you can rewind it if you want to hear it. <laughs> Okay, so it turns out that that last part, the part that you (laughs) conveniently left out a little bit, delay in achieving success, it actually might be the secret to enduring longer. You've probably heard me talk a lot about dopamine, one of my favorite neurotransmitters. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter responsible for motivation, which is really important to have when you're in persistence mode. Mm -hmm. If you're in fight or flight mode, that's giving you all the motivation you need. When you're in persistence mode, there aren't these very clear, huge risks that are causing your adrenaline to shoot through the roof and get you acting. So you need motivation to sustain that endurance. Dopamine is produced when we feel that we're at risk, which is why so many of us felt super motivated early on in the pandemic. But now as the risk remains the same, but kind of we're just now familiar with it, not much is changing, our dopamine is draining. Hmm. Luckily, the other thing that spikes dopamine is reward. So very simply, people who have high perseverance levels have high dopamine levels. How would you describe your own dopamine levels? Ooh, well, considering I can get dopamine from a guy I know uptown. (laughs) Except that guy can't deliver anymore. Damn! No wonder your dopamine's been so low. Damn, my dopamine's been low. Now, I think I have high dopamine, right? Uh, Wait. So basically, if you have high perseverance, you have high dopamine levels? Yeah. So there's one explanation can be that it's our actual like chemical inheritance. So for example, neuroscientist Michael Treadway and team studied slackers and go-getters. And they found that slackers had lower dopamine levels. I think I'm a slack getter. A slack getter? Or a go-getter. You're like really motivated to slack off. Yeah, I'm a go slacker. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm like, hey, the... where are you going? What are because you doing? I want to say like, I'm a go-getter. to slack off. <laughs> I want to say I'm a go-getter, but like lately I haven't felt that like since we've been in quarantine. Like uh, I, Yeah, it can be uh, really then, hard. Then, quarantine when, makes your dopamine drain. It makes my dopamine drain. But I also like if I have a project in front of me, I'm go-getting it. I'm going to get on it. I'm going to get it. It's like I'm we talk get, a, yeah. about our last our, our last dog. Oh, my gosh. Our, oh, our, my gosh. How, what's the what's the like nice way gonna, to say? Can we talk about empathy next week? Okay, but can <laughs> Damn. Our how last do, dog. How do you say the dog that was 
you know, our dog before this dog, before she died. And I think you say it just like that. <laughs> I think you, our previous dog who passed that away. That doesn't sound better. Yes, our previous dog. And I have dog. to do that voice. Our previous dog. Our previous who dog passed who away. passed away. Scarlet, Scarlet, love of my life. She was very persistent. Oh, she had perseverance too. She had a lot of perseverance. She was used as bait in dog fights and even through all of that. Nevertheless, she persisted. Nevertheless, she persisted. And <laughs> she was she was so hopeful. She believed in people. She was so friendly with people. And she would chew things until they were gone. Oh. And so you and I, I think, both have that quality where we get into pit bull mode, we yeah. call it. We're, or pity mode. Chew mode. Chew yeah. mode chew that's mode. what we call it. Chew mode. And uh, we get, get obsessed with something. And that's you, dopamine. You, you, okay, for anyone listening out there who doesn't know Tanya personally, <laughs> no one gets into chew mode more than the love of my life. Huckleberry. Uh, you, <laughs> uh, and Huckleberry. But like you, I've never seen anybody grab and gnaw and punch and kick any problem or obstacle that gets in front of them. I think and I it's do inspiring. get obsessed. It's inspiring. Like Tanya is who you want in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> She's going to be the person who's going to run the establishment to get everything going and keep everything. I'm more of the Daryl. And you, I'm gonna go you've out, got the weapons. Yeah, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to bash uh, zombies and I'm going to go out and look for people. I'm going to have a dog and I'm going to ride a Harley and I'm going to be all, you know, leather jacket and stuff. I'll be that guy. I don't know. Why but, are you describing your outfit? Hey, because this is zombie apocalypse, baby. This ain't this ain't new to me. I feel very grateful for my dopamine levels, mm. and I mean, who knows? Maybe it's something that is inherited. But luckily, there's also a lot of evidence that you could up your dopamine. There are all these dopamine hacks. So Ooh. before we wrap up in our last few minutes, yes. I'm wondering, could we talk about how do you get that sweet, sweet dopamine buzz? Hey, yeah, my favorite drug. First okay. one's free, baby. First one's free. <laughs> Just a taste. Okay, so number one. Yes. You need to feel small wins often. Okay. I'm talking often. How do you do that? Uh, give yourself uh, something like uh, a short little goal. In other words, like I have to do 50 push-ups today. However, I'm sorry, you, that's a short little goal. I'm saying like you have not in one spot. <laughs> like you have you have your you have your whole day to do 50 push-ups, which means you can gamify that. Our friend Roy, he does five push-ups every time he flushes the toilet. I didn't mean to know that. <laughs> that's what he told me today. He just texted me. I, every time I flush the toilet, I do five push-ups. That's awesome. And I was like, that's awesome. And the small win is going to mean something different for everyone. So for me, maybe it's one push-up. Right, right. Yeah, it's whatever it is. Whatever that project is for you, you got to break it up to smaller phases. Mm-hmm. Number two, make wins or progress a lot more exciting. Did you say make wins? Not make wins. Oh, 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 oh. I thought. <laughs> make whatever those f- those small wins are. Wins. Wins. Mm-hmm. W-I-N-S. <laughs> <laughs> you better not Progress. That. <laughs> Let's just say progress. Whatever that progress is that you're feeling, you got to make it big. It can't just be like, I wrote for 10 minutes. Done. I did one push-up. Done. For example, psychologist BJ Fogg. Sounds like a Muppet. Yes. <laughs> Delightful one. BJ Fogg. Dun, 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 dun. He wrote a book called Tiny Habits. He's been doing research in this field for a while. And he recommends breaking up your goals into tiny steps, teeny, tiny, tiny steps. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you're trying to drink more water, one sip of water in the morning when you wake up. Don't even let yourself drink more until you've mastered the one sip. I love and that. the thing that I love about what he says is you have to celebrate really, really hard as soon as you're done. So let's say you did your one push up and you have to go, I'm so awesome. I'm fantastic. Can you do your own version of that or do I have to do it? Yeah, like let's that? try it. So go ahead, do a push up right now. Ready? Yeah, just one. Come on, damn it! Damn it! I just pushed the earth! I didn't push myself up! I pushed the earth away! That's great! Alright. 
Can that be my ringtone? Hell yeah. That was pretty good. That's I feel good. good. I feel like I'm gonna right? like I feel like I'm gonna lift the house now. Because what he points out is that habits are only built through feeling that what we just did felt really, really good. This self-praise reminds me of the research that I used to do at the Emotion Regulation Lab, led by Dr. Tracy Dennis, where I was a research assistant. Just where you used to torture the kids? Yes. <laughs> so for <laughs> a few years of my life, I basically professionally tortured children If y'all for ever science. get a chance, pull up a chair and let Tanya tell you Those this kids story. are adults at this point. I'm maybe, so sorry. Maybe. <laughs> One of the things that we used to look at was early childhood perseverance and persistence. <laughs> so the way that we would do this experiment is... <laughs> We would bring the kids into the lab. I got to wear lab coats. So it was awesome. Nice. And we would give them this big plexiglass box with a really fun toy inside. And you would lock the box. And then you would go, oh, shoot, I got a phone call. I got to step out. And then nice. you would go, hey, if you can open this box, you, you can, can take out the it. toy and play with it. Oh, that's And genius. then you give them a fake key. And then you leave for 15 minutes. And then you watch them through oh, this two-way mirror. <laughs> And we wanted to see how long would kids persevere. And for the kids that would persevere longest, what were they doing? Any guesses? What were they doing? What differentiated the kids that kept trying to get the toy versus the kids that would start crying or, you know, sit sullenly in the corner? Their names. <laughs> Only kids named Brian I, I, persevered. Kids, kids named Hampton, they're going to quit. They're going to tap out after like two seconds. What do you think is the most I'll tell you, the kid high named, perseverance name? The kid named Brock got that shit open. Brock? Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the, kid, the kid named Brock. I got to tell you, we did this research on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. <laughs> I didn't meet any kids named Brock. But you met about 11 Hamptons. About 11 Hamptons. <laughs> okay, so um, what kept the kids trying? Hell, I don't know. So one of the characteristics of the kids that would persevere longer yeah. was that they would talk to themselves. So they would say things like, you got this. You can do this. Don't worry. She'll be back soon. So even if they did give up, because at some point, some of the kids were smart enough to be like, this is the wrong key. Yeah. They would still self-soothe by sitting there and going, she'll be back soon. You'll get to play did with the toy. Did anyone try to break the, the box? Yep, that they did. Me. Because you're basically Brock Luna. I would have chewed through that <laughs> plexi box. But yeah, no, I, I guess that makes sense. Like, it's what we talked about before, giving yourself those pep talks. Yeah. Uh, so that's Psychologist really... Carol Dweck found that people persevere more when they're praised on effort versus outcomes. She's known very oh, broadly for this idea yeah. of growth mindset. And even research on, for example, looking at kids that are bad at math. If you teach kids that getting good at math is all about putting in the effort and mm -hmm. continuing to practice, almost like you're building a muscle, they actually performed much better than the kids who didn't get that lesson. So let me tell you something. When I first got into high school, the math we took was algebra. And I had such a hard time with it because the concept of balancing an equation and everything was really, really tough for me. And all my teachers were, whenever I'd ask a question, they would shake their head. So after a while, I just, I didn't say anything. Yeah. And I felt really dumb and I didn't say anything. And I started failing her class and I almost failed out of football that first year. But it was my second teacher, Mr. Sims, who in geometry, he was so encouraging mm. when we asked a question. Even if he just said that, he'd be like, yes, that's exactly what I just said. And he wasn't energetic. He was kind of a, a, of a big nerd. And I love this man. Like, <laughs> Mr. Sims, if you're out there, you were amazing to me. I respected <laughs> him so much. And, and I, it made me try so much yeah. harder in his class. That's fantastic. And that's exactly what the research supports is that we can't persevere without feeling like we're winning. Even if it's just winning by putting in effort again and again and again and again. Yeah. The more we bully ourselves and pick on ourselves for failure, the less dopamine we have, the less motivation we have, the less we're able to persevere. So on that note, so that we can enter perseverance mode. Perseverance mode. Activate. Engaged. 
Is there anything that you would like to praise yourself or even Huckleberry for right now? Showering every day. I've been showering every day throughout this quarantine. Oh, yeah. And I have to give myself big props because I know a lot of people are posting out there. They ain't doing that. And Unfortunately, uh, I cannot praise myself for that. <laughs> I wasn't going to praise Because I wasn't it would be say, false. I wasn't going to say shit. But uh, what do I want to praise myself on? Um, okay. I'd like to praise myself on not panic shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also like to praise myself on keeping it together housewise, like taking, mm-hmm. taking control of the house, like doing house ops. How about Huckleberry? Anything you want to praise Huckleberry for? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Basically this little one gets into like a hunting mode and when she gets into hunting mode, our you dog. can't, yeah, our, our, our dog, you can't, <laughs> our daughter, <laughs> you can't, our little daughter gets you into can't, hunting mode. you can't break her and she, and she takes Ripley with her and they won't our listen, other our other dog, and they'll go to the fence and they'll bark and they'll bark at dogs and everything like that and they can't, she just loses control and she hears those little like drums in her head. This does not sound like praise. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all she wants to do is just go. But lately, as soon as she gets the urge, I'm like, Huck, you better sit there and she'll look at me, look over her shoulder. And then relax. That's great. And I'm like, that's that's good. I actually think that we could learn a lot from how we talk to our dogs in terms of applying it to how we talk to ourselves and other humans. Because I feel like how many times yes, a day... Yes, that's true. We can. You're yes, such a good boy. You're such a good girl. You're such a good podcaster. No, but really, how often do we say good boy, good girl, good dog, whatever, for the same thing over and over and over? That's true. But you better not call me good boy. I'm telling you that right now. Good man. Yeah. Good person. Good human. I remember my first day of organized football, and it was the first day we actually had to wear a helmet. This is something that no one ever talks about. The first day of wearing your helmet is one of the most excruciating days. It's mm. because this thing is compressing your brain. It's basically like pushing on your skull. Yeah, it's hot. It's the worst pain imaginable. Picture the worst headache. And um, you also have to... My fo- apologies to anyone who's given birth to a child. Whoa. That's not what I meant. Okay. I mean, <laughs> the, the worst pain you can imagine... At 11. Wearing a or tight 12. hat. No, yes. No, no. It's the worst pain of wearing a very tight hat. No, no, no. No. What I meant was at that age, uh, it's, it's one of the worst pains you can, because you're not expecting it. You're expecting to put on your uniform, hit somebody, and get in there and mix it up. And you, you're so excited. Then you put this helmet on. And the one thing they tell you is if you take off that helmet, you have to start from scratch. I saw some of my toughest friends crying, pulling it off, like pulling on the face mask to try to get, relieve some of the tension. And I just remember looking over at my dad. He used to be at every practice. He just looked at me and he nodded. He was like, like, you can do this. You got this. When I would feel like I wanted to touch my helmet or pull it off, I would just hear, Luna, Luna. He would call me Luna. And I'd turn around and he would just like clap. He would he would like give me a couple, like, hey, all right, you got this, boy. You got this. And, and it was those little things. The perseverance, if you have someone in your corner, great. But you can also be your own my dad in your head. <laughs> be Brian's dad. You can, and my dad also talks like, hey, goddammit, hey, you say, hey, Luna. You know, so if you can hear that voice in your head, that might help you. But he, but if you have just that voice. just the most positive man in the whole entire just world. Just so awesome. But if you have that in your, if you have that going for you, if you have that voice in your head, that's like every time you, re, you feel like you've reached your absolute tipping point, there's a voice in your head that can be like, hey, Hey, come on. You got this. Five you got this. Longer. Five minutes longer. And it's something that I, I, you know, we talked about being homeless earlier. There was something that also played in my head. It was all those comic book stories that I've read is that, yeah, when Spider-Man was holding up that building and there was no way he could also beat the juggernaut. There's no way. He's like a hundred times stronger than Spider-Man and Spider-Man, there's a building collapsing on him, but he's holding this thing up and he's talking to himself the entire time. 
the whole issue is basically him holding up this building, waiting for help, and realizing that he's the help he's waiting for. Mm. Everyone has that in them. Everyone has that moment where things are at their worst. You're alone. You're in quarantine. Or you've got family members who you haven't spoken to and you're worried and whatever. You've got this in your head that will allow you to hold that building up, do incredible things, and perseverance isn't just a figment of your imagination. It's not something the other person has. It's something that we all have. And just like any muscle, just like any frame of mind, we have to hone that skill. We have to have to hone it, especially now. In perseverance, you may have to loan it to other people. So sometimes you may have to be my dad's voice in someone else's head. <laughs> Get that around your head. And that's what I wanted to share I with love y'all. that. And it's, it's about not just looking forward with hope, but looking backwards with pride and saying, yeah. look how much I've already done. Let me not stop here. I've already been holding up this I've building. I've been done that. All right, tip number three. I'm going to give you four tips. This okay. is tip number three. Dopamine is fueled by new experiences. Okay. So even while in quarantine, what are some brand new things that people can do? Learn a language. Read a new book. Do how-to. Watch a how-to video. Cook some stuff. Do, cook some stuff. Make some stuff. Um, give shows a chance or give something a chance that you've never... Hop into uh, someone's Zoom room, even if they didn't invite you. Oh, uh, Just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but talk to new people. Join yeah. conversations. And, you know, as the old saying goes... Dopamine begets dopamine. I don't think that's an old saying. I think you just made that up. (laughs) But it's true. The more dopamine you release in your brain, the Mm. more dopamine you have, the more energy and motivation you have to do other things. So if you're listening to us talk about things like learn a new language, are you kidding? Learn two words in another language. Yeah, yeah. And then celebrate it. Hell, learn all the bad words in another language. Yeah, start there. Yeah, and see see if by the end of this quarantine, people should be able to cuss out anybody else in any other language. In at least 17 languages. 17, 22. 22 languages. That is our dare for you right now. Absolutely. If you can cuss me out in 22 languages, good on you. And to learn more about the psychology of cussing. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in last week. (laughs) No, two Uh, weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Episode 12 on the importance of cursing psychology. Dr. Sandu. All right. And tip number four, four, four of four. This is the easiest one, but it actually works. Take care of your body. Sleeping well. Yeah. Or even just taking (laughs) 10 minute naps. Oh. And short bursts of high intensity exercise also boost dopamine. Very cool. So I think I might go take a nap right now. I think I might go exercise while you're taking a nap. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Keep on keeping on. Keep on leaving positive reviews for the show, please. Sharing this show with friends. And we'll keep on keeping making new episodes. And with that, we'd like to thank you for listening to Talk Talk Psych Psych to to Me. Me.